This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our alien badges and art prints featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. How we doing, Trip? Ready when you are. Prepare for warp. Course laid in, sir. Request permission to get underway. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me once again, as she is every week, from that magical land down under, it's Kate Walsh. Kate, tell me, what are some of the highs and lows from the week in Australia? Oh, the highs was um, me going to a convention on the weekend and uh, seeing the highly collectible autograph of our Prime Minister, as uh, esteemed as he is, which I had to pass on because... I just didn't feel worthy of such an honour. But I did get an autograph from uh, Charlie from Lost. Did he write not Penny's note on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is not Penny's note. Um, it's Kate's note. I did tell him about Warp 5 and uh, how we discussed Lost a little bit in the last couple of weeks. He found that most interesting <laughs> and asked when we were doing a show that talks about how the entire series went to crap once Charlie died. <laughs> he might have a point there, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might have a point there. I was going to say, I don't know if you should be telling the cast of Lost that we talk about Lost on Warp 5 and our other shows, because usually we do so as an example of how writers just make stuff up as they go, and it doesn't make any sense to the viewer. <laughs> well, I didn't go into details. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any lows this week? Hopefully no lows. No, I wouldn't say that there's lows, but there's always lots going on down under. Well, we're talking about highs and lows because today we're going to talk about some of the highs and lows of the first season of Enterprise. And when Enterprise premiered, you know, it was seen as an attempt to breathe new life into the franchise because at this point we had had 14 straight years of stories set in the same time period. And of course, TNG and DS9 and Voyager, they all had their own unique take on the Star Trek universe, but really they all shared the same Starfleet and the same technology and the same crowded political landscape with the Romulans and the Klingons and the Federation. And it all had become a lot to handle, I think, from a writing standpoint. And certainly as a viewer, you felt that everything was becoming very, very crowded and when Endgame came around, there was this feeling amongst some people anyway that the franchise had a bit of fatigue. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk about franchise fatigue and say it's not a real thing, but certainly amongst some people, there was that feeling. So then Enterprise came along and it was this great opportunity 
to do something really new and really fresh, but it was also very risky because, you know, maybe maybe the changes are going to be successful. Maybe they're going to be a failure. And I think which one it turned out to be is still a topic of hot debate even today. But let's talk, Kate, about our own perceptions anyway of the first season and what we see as some of the highs and lows. And I'm just going to let you kick it off with one of your first picks as a high point of season one. One of my highs, and I've spoken about this a little bit so far, um, is unexpected. And the reason I put this as a high is because of its hilarity. I was recently rewatching <laughs> yeah. the uh, or the um, season two Blu-ray where the cast are talking about different aspects of Enterprise in the panel discussion. And the cast seemed to love this episode as well. They all had some good moments in it. It was fun. It allowed uh, Connor Trenier to really come into his own as an actor in the show and to develop that character. And it's one of the ones that, you know, often I've, I tweet about what episodes I'm watching at the time. And every time I tweet yeah. that I'm watching Unexpected, I get such a reaction from people who, it, I wouldn't say it's a love-hate relationship, but it's, um, it's is a friendly joviality that surrounds this episode. Right. Yeah, I get that too. Yeah. It's unlike something like Threshold where you say you're watching Threshold from Voyager and, and people are like, oh, no, <laughs> what's gotten into you? Whereas this one, right, people yeah. have fun with it and they have fun remembering it. And so it, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling every time I watch it. People enjoy it and they laugh just like the Klingons laugh, right, when they come in and <laughs> when right. Vorak finds out that Trip is carrying the baby and it's just the most hilarious thing he's ever seen <laughs> or heard. But I, I get the same reaction. You know, when I'm watching Star Trek, I usually check in to get glue and that tweets that out and posts it to Facebook. And whenever I'm watching Unexpected, as I was just a couple of days ago, in fact, I always get responses to that. I don't get responses to everything, mm. but Unexpected is one where people have something to say about it. And, and I think it, you know, it it sounds ridiculous. It's it's you know this guy is getting pregnant, and almost like uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Junior, you know, which you can oh, poke yeah. a bit of fun at. Um, and it sounds like it could be a real disaster of an episode, but I actually think it's a real gem. And so to me, I think back on season one, and you know that's one of the first ones I'll go to if I'm doing a rewatch. Well, it works so well, largely because of Connor's performance. Mm. And it's the little things. It's like when they're sitting there eating with, he's sitting there eating with Archer and the, it's not chef, but it's whoever's coming in and bringing the food, mm. puts it down and Connor hands him the plate and he says, I'd love some more of this. <laughs> and you just get that feeling he's, this, he's pregnant, he's eating for two and he just cannot control himself. And it's, it's a brilliant performance. And there's the second moment where he's talking about, um, some aspect of the pregnancy, which he's trying to keep secret. And at just that moment, the yeah. same guy walks back and he overhears it and Connor's just so embarrassed and walks out. Yeah, right. Well, that's a good pick. That's I do think that is one of the high moments of the season. 
Uh, for me, I'm going to just start at the very beginning and go with Broken Bow, just because I, I think that in terms of production, Broken Bow is the best pilot of all the Star Trek series. Now, my favorite pilot in terms of story is Emissary, but Broken Bow has a polish to it that just, it really shows that this crew had been putting together Star Trek for all these years and had taken everything that they've learned, which we talked about on another show recently, some of the things they did with the set and all, but they just, everything from the makeup to the set design to the directing, just the the visual effects, everything about it was so polished and you, you really felt like you were watching a movie mm-hmm. with Broken Bow. And, and I think that, you know, first impressions are very important and putting that first foot forward is very important. And I think with Broken Bow, they really did the best that they, that we could expect them to do, I think, in introducing a new series to us. Maybe, I don't know, they, they upset fans with the theme song. I know people weren't expecting that. But beyond that, it was just really well done. And in fact, uh, Broken Bow, you know, won a number of awards. It, it won an Emmy for outstanding special visual effects for a series, which is just what I'm talking about and how polished it looks. Uh, I always think of uh, the scenes on Rigel 10 and the snowstorm where they're having the firefight. Mm. That's an example to me where I've never never really saw anything like that on Star Trek on television prior to Broken Bow. Yeah, it has a real cinematic quality to it. And I think about those opening scenes in the cornfields and what that would have been like if you could have seen it on the big screen, and I think it would have looked spectacular. Um, one thing I was disappointed that was removed after the pilot was their you know, nice quilted jackets. <laughs> the costuming was great yeah, in yeah, the pilot. Yeah. yeah, those looked good. So is that the jacket that I know on Twitter the other day, our friend Mark Stamper was talking about having on his gray Enterprise jacket. Is it the quilted one no, that he was talking about? No, because he's you, talking about... you also knew what he was talking about. Yeah, he's talking about uh, it's more of a satiny one, just a okay. pretty plain with the piping over the shoulders in the three colors. Catrice, they're about $70, oh, that I okay. think. So. That's pretty sharp. Yeah, I'd like to have that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a I, good I ordered it, but they... They sent me to Paul's cat suit instead, and it doesn't really fit I know. Fit me, it so. didn't really hug your curves in the right places, did it? Right. No, no, it's not really cut for, for my body type, so. Mm. Well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we, let's alternate highs and lows so that we don't, uh, you know, end up at the end of the show just talking about the things we didn't like. What's one of your low points of the first season? Oh, I think one of the episodes that grates most on me is Terra Nova. Oh, really? I just watched that yesterday. Okay, tell me about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is it all shell to you, Kate? It's all shell? Anytime you, you give me one of these episodes where they've made up these contrived languages and you get it in some movies too, I've got a feeling it was in um, The Time Machine as well, you know, that movie. Uh-huh. I can't remember, but you, you get a yeah. few of these things where... The one based on the book by H.G. Wells. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. not, not that I've got anything against H.G. Wells, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's when they bring in these um, these languages that are meant to have been an adaptation of uh, you know, what, what was standard English, but as the civilization becomes more right. distant from everyone else, 
that you know there's these yeah. little adjustments and um and I just I find it incredibly grating um really yeah I don't know what it is it just um and so for me that's very distracting I uh I've got a feeling they even do it in um in the the TV series Firefly I I just I find it really contrived I I uh it it, it just it doesn't sit naturally to me. I know that 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 it's quite possible that those things will happen, but um, it's just been done so many times. Well, I think that those things will happen. Language shifts, of yeah. course. Language drifts, uh, but I don't know that it happens to that extent over the time period that we're talking about. So that's the thing where language. I mean, of course, language changes. I mean, mm. you know, there are words that you and I use from when we were kids that have been supplanted mm. by other words at this point, but it's, it's not to the extent that we see. And it's also the way in which in it's Terra done. Nova, so. It's not like they come up with a new word for cool, you know, and now the kind of shift we <laughs> see that the, the way that the language is adapted is very much based on, uh, it's usually based on physical things that they see and, um, you know, like in well, they came up with a new word for crappy lies, which is shell. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and uh, so, and it, it's it's it always happens in civilizations that that become more backwards. It's not you, you rarely see it in civilizations yeah. that are moving forward. It, you know, even in Firefly, yeah. it becomes more of a wild west piratey kind of culture so it, there's a re, re, reversion there um so you know you go into a really futuristic show and you, and you don't see those kind of language changes reflected it's only ever done to reflect civilizations going backwards the other thing that that i find frustrating in this episode there's the scene where um where reed's being held hostage and they the, the people start playing their music in the caves yeah, and it's this moment yeah. where we're meant to think, oh, you know, we've got these people, maybe a little bit savage, uneducated, uncultured, but oh, look, they have this wonderful magical culture going on, and you know, maybe there's another side to these people. And uh, and I, well, I, I just seen that done so many times; it's so predictable. It was, it was kind of like Fraggle Rock. I thought the Fraggles <laughs> were going to pop out, and yeah, it annoyed me for the I same reason episode... that Avatar annoyed me. Okay, maybe uh, I don't know. For me, this episode is okay. It's it's an episode. It's I don't know. The language stuff doesn't bother me as much. Music stuff doesn't bother me as much. It's not as strong as the episodes surrounding it. I think, which maybe you know helps it stand out a little bit as maybe not being quite on par with some of the others. But I'll tell you an episode that I do think is not only a low point for the season, but it's probably the lowest point in the first season of Enterprise, and that's Acquisition, <laughs> because the Ferengi had no business being on Enterprise, and that was just completely a ridiculous, we don't really have an idea for an episode this week, so mm. why don't we bring the Ferengi onto the show? I know, it's such a weird Terrible race move. to bring back if you're going to, like, you know, bring on any race that we've seen before. It's like the Ferengi? Why then? Well, and also, you know, part of the problem with Enterprise and what people were concerned about is continuity. Mm -hmm. And it's clear in the next generation 
that the Federation is not very familiar with the Ferengi. So you can't bring the Ferengi on to the NXO. And I know they, they do the little trick of, just like they do with the Romulans, of us not really knowing who they are. And they do the same thing with the Borg as well. We don't really know who they are. So that's why Picard didn't know much about the Ferengi. But I think that it works fine with the Borg because of the way that ties in overall to the series. And with the Romulans, it's okay the way they handled it because we didn't actually get to see them. But the Ferengi was... Do you really think that it upset the continuity? Well, I don't think... Didn't they get around that, as you say? Well, the the problem is that you have to get around it. So, yeah, you're right. I don't think that it, it didn't necessarily violate the continuity. However... It was something that was completely unnecessary. Mm. It wasn't a good story. It wasn't a good episode. There was no reason to do it. And you just set yourself up for the very thing that people are watching you like a hawk mm. for. It was are you going to do something that we feel violates continuity? And you just, they should have never gone there. And so for me, that's the low point of the season uh, and as you'll find out as we go along today, I don't really have a lot of things that I consider to be low points. So this is the one thing in the season that was a low point for me. I don't think it's a good story. So that's the main issue that I have with it. Right. The other issue I have, even though I don't have an issue with the way that they manage the continuity, I don't think it was good for the series that it, as you have mentioned, that it raised that as an issue for debate, detracting from right. the quality of the series overall. Exactly. That's that's probably the biggest point. Because if it's just a bad episode, then you can just say, okay, well, that wasn't very good. Let's go on to next week. But it really opened the door. Whereas if you compare it with um, uh, Regeneration, whilst there is some talk about continuity, it is a good episode on its own. And so right. it's not trashed in the same way. Right. And it it ties in legitimately to First Contact. Mm. And now here's something we can talk about on a future show, actually. As you know, the events of First Contact and then finding the Borg in the ice in regeneration, some people claim that the entire series of Enterprise is set in an alternate timeline. Mm compared to the next generation and the original series, which would also mean that Voyager is set in an alternate timeline. Everything that happened after the events of First Contact would be in an alternate timeline because the Borg originally weren't there. Mm. But but then you can tie it into like a temporal paradox, right? Yeah. So, well, maybe they were there. We didn't, so not, not a topic for discussion today, but that could be an interesting thing to discuss down the mm. road. All right. Well, well, tell me another one of your high point moments. The next high I'm going to go with is, gonna, and it may be an odd one for some people, not, not obvious, but I really enjoy watching Strange New World. Mm-hmm. I like that episode as well. And I don't think it's one of the ones that jumps out at people when they think of the highs of season one. But I really enjoy the character interaction in particular between Trip and Pole in the caves, um, where we get to see Trip's prejudice towards the Vulcans. You know, mostly up until that mm-hmm. point, we've seen archers. 
uh, through the relationship with Depol. But because Tripp's so emotional, you know, he says things that we haven't really heard him say before other than in a passing joke, and we see how serious he is about that. We learn more about the relationship with Archer and the depth of that. I think all of the characters have good moments. Porthos gets a run. <laughs> yes. Trip gets to, to beat his first uh, alien life form to death in his sleeping bag. So, you know, that- <laughs> now, that is a great part of that episode where, <laughs> give me the phaser. It's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to shoot it. And Reed's like, you're going to shoot a bug? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I do think it's a really fun episode. Um, but it's, yeah, there's, there's some great character moments in it. And, and yeah. I've put this down because when I was thinking about these episodes, there were some obvious ones that came to mind. And I have discussed those a fair bit on the show already um, because mm-hmm. they are such standouts. So what I tried to do is to think about what are the ones that I just really enjoy watching just, you know, as entertainment yeah. and that I, I walk away feeling, yeah, I really got something out of that. And and so, yeah, that that that's my second choice. What do you make of that episode? I really like that episode. And it's not just because I get to see Crewman Cutler appearing out the window <laughs> early on in the episode, uh, because... Um, as I've probably said on here before, she's my Leffler of Enterprise. But I, I like this episode, though, I think for different reasons than you do. Uh, I agree that the character interactions are good, although I feel at moments that it's a little bit over the top, a little bit cheesy, uh, the, the things that Tripp says. I, I feel like the 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 prejudice towards Vulcans is it's laid on a little bit thick at at times, mm-hmm. uh, but but it's still good. But what I really like about this episode is the opening. I like the excitement of the crew seeing this planet mm-hmm. through the the portal on the ship. I love the shuttlecraft landing in the field and them getting out and Porthos running across the field. Mm -hmm. And I love that they come out with their baseball caps on and they pose for a photo. (laughs) I I like that first half of the episode more than I like the second half with the uh, hallucinations Mm -hmm. of the rock people and, and all that. Although that part's okay as well. And the reason I like the opening half and especially the, the first few scenes is because they're going out there for the first time mm. and it's their first it's the first time for these people to be setting foot on an alien world for most of them anyway. I think Travis had been to, to a few planets before. And you know just but walking outside it was just such mm. a like a we made it moment. Here we are. And it was it was very refreshing after watching so many years of crews who were accustomed to landing on alien planets, going inside alien buildings. You know, everything was just routine to them, no matter what the situation. And so this was really refreshing. I, I, I You mentioned, you know, them getting outdoors and so forth. And visually, it's nice to see naturalistic surroundings every now and again in Star Trek, mm-hmm. you know, other than caves and things that are obviously sets. Um, and this episode, yeah. as well as um, Desert Crossing, uh, which is later in the this, this season, are ones that, you know, that is a part of the appeal for me is just seeing them get out in nature and that that reminds me very much of, um, I don't know if you've seen, um, you know, off the top of my head, Stargate Universe. 
uh, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of you know going to these new planets all the time, which which is what Stargate's yeah. about. But uh, and you're just seeing all these new worlds, and they, they they use nature a lot. You know, it's not just sets. It, they are actually, and then in this one, you know, unlike some of the old jungle sets that we see in earlier Star Trek, they're actually getting out there, and and just just visually, it, it breaks up the feel of the show. Yeah, it does. So, let's see. For me, my next high is going to be the return of the Andorians in the Andorian incident to start with. But then, of course, we we get Andorians throughout the series. And for me, as someone who grew up with the original series and seeing the Andorians and Journey to Babel, and, you know, they're this... It's always interesting to me how popular the Andorians are because we didn't see them very much in Star Trek. And, you know, you get them popping up after the original series you see like an Andorian in the Federation Chamber Council in the Voyage Home or something like that. You don't get to see many Andorians. And the Andorian we saw in The Next Generation where Lol is trying to pick what form she's going to take doesn't really look like an Andorian that it, it was, I mean, it looks like an Andorian, but they were definitely playing around with it and it's not quite right. And then we don't really get to see Andorians very much. And then here we come to Enterprise, and when the, I knew there's an episode called The Andorian Incident. Now, I was living in Japan when it, Enterprise premiered, so I didn't get to see it air like everyone else did. I had to get my father to record it on VHS and send it to me. So I was you know, a week or so behind, a couple of weeks behind seeing it. So I knew there was an episode called The Andorian Incident. And I was like, oh, great, the Andorians are coming back. I'm so excited about this. And then when I watched the episode and they walk in and I was like, wow, this is this is really well done. Mm. Um, I, I debated for a little bit whether to put that on my list. It is a great episode, but um, I probably don't have the same attachment to the Andorian stuff, you know, having watched yeah. TOS later. And um, so the Andorian episodes overall in Enterprise are ones that, you know, whilst they they are very well done, I tend to retreat from a little bit, don't get as engaged in while I watch them. Mm. I think for people who followed Star Trek from when they were kids, though, like me with TOS, mm. found the Andorian moments, uh, the and especially this episode to be... Uh, a high point you know i'm going to go out on a limb here and say that i think one of the reasons i don't like the andorian episodes as much is because i'm not a huge jeffrey coombs fan you're not a fan of jeffrey coombs but he's everywhere kate how could you watch television (laughs) and not be a fan of jeffrey coombs oh i know it's a curse (laughs) I love Jeffrey Combs. I mean, whether it's Star Trek, he's in the 4400 as well. He has a big role in there. Um, everywhere I see him, I don't know. I think he's a great actor. I, I, I do really like him as Wayun, but that's probably the only one. I don't like him as much as Brunt, but that's because I don't like Brunt. I don't like the character of Brunt so much. Mm. But, but you know, Wayun, Shran, whatever it is, I, I, I really think he's great. Well, let's shift gears to another low point, Kate. What's the next low on your list? Okay. I'm going to go with two days and two nights. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Okay, so tell me why. I don't get the point of it. It it comes to go to Riza. <laughs> That's well, they had been I mean, hanging out. It's like to saying quite a while. it's like saying I don't like Las Vegas because <laughs> I don't get the point of going to Las Vegas. Kate, come on, it's Riza. Riza. Okay, and and may, maybe this is you know where it reminds me a little bit of the Ferengi episode that you know we wanted to get in having them go to Riza. Right. Yeah, and, and, I, I can. And that was I can, the main I'll driver. That. that there wasn't much plot behind it, and let's just follow what happens to each of them one riser. And then there's this weird kind of Suleiman injection that seemed completely out of place with the rest of it because it's not really what the story was about. It was almost just like a compilation of what's happening to each of the crew. Yeah, well, I'll give you that. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying about the episode. I don't think it was a low point for me, though. No, oh, I just switch and- off. Do you really? Mm. Well, it's that bad, huh? And I don't like right. Hoshi hooking up with that guy at all. That was a little, yeah. I, I was surprised. Let's just put it that way. I wasn't expecting that from her character. Mm. Yeah, Hoshi always took me as being a little more cautious, and just because a guy admires her language skills, you know, I just didn't didn't really get it. Well, tell me what you think about my next low and see if this is controversial for you. <laughs> I know it's going to be controversial for some of our listeners probably. And and as I mentioned, I don't apart from acquisition, I don't really have a lot of low points in the season. I mean, things that I would really consider this was really bad that you did it. Mm. And therefore the next thing on my list is encounters with Klingons. Because I just feel that the encounters with the Klingons weren't handled as well as I personally wanted them to be. I wanted there to be more backstory to them. We Well, we did a show about Klingons mm. on here, right, just um, a few weeks ago. So we've pretty much gone over what we think about the Klingons. So just to give you a quick rundown, Broken Bow, we get Klang. And Klang is okay. What, what bothers me about Broken Bow is that... I felt like the whole plot line of Klang carrying this information in his blood that had to get back to Kronos was more just there as an excuse for the NXO-1 to leave Earth and go out into space in Mm -hmm. the first place, just to give the crew some kind of mission to go on. Because once we get to Kronos and you're at the end and then the Klingons have the the computer screen and then they see this display going on in the computer screen and then everyone is like oh yeah oh okay (laughs) and the crew is like what the hell's going on and you as a viewer like what the hell's going on and then the episode's over and i feel like there should have been a little bit more to what was the big deal about clang in the Mm. first place and i know as time goes on we do start to learn that the, the Suleban and future guy, and they're trying to start this civil war with the Klingons and all. But at that point in time, you don't know any of that. And you're just left kind of feeling mm. like there are Klingons in here because it's Star Trek. So let's put some Klingons in the, the first episode. I'm, I'm glad you've said that. I'm very hesitant to criticize the pilot um, because I think yeah. in many ways it's very well done. But I reckon when we get towards 
the middle section of the two episodes, so the end of the first one and the start of the second one. And I start to feel a little bit lost for the same reasons that you've said. We, it starts out with this Klingon thing and then suddenly we're into the Sulaban. And, yes, there is yeah. a reason for the inter, you know, interaction between the two, but it's not really central. You know, the, the, the stuff, the whole point of the Klingon stuff at the end isn't really a big deal. It's, it, it, it just feels like a side plot, yet it's presented as the main plot. And it actually ends right. up becoming yeah. more a Sullivan thing uh, and future guy. So I enjoy the pilot, but I probably enjoy the early part of the pilot, maybe the first 40% more so than yeah. the rest, the setup. When it's more about humans and Vulcans mm. and getting out to space for the first time, and then when it turns into the Sulabine Klingon thing later on, mm. it's, yeah, I, I agree. If you also look at Unexpected, which we talked about earlier, and you have Vorak, the Klingon captain, he's just, it's just Klingon. Mm. It's its like the stereotypical Klingon. And then in Sleeping Dogs, you have Buka, the en- female engineer. Mm. And again, we talked about her in the past as well, how I felt she was kind of weak, but her attitude was very much stereotypical Klingon. And then at the very end of that, once they get the Klingon ship out, and they, they save the, the Klingons, and the Klingon captain comes on, and he wants to destroy the Enterprise. And so it's just stereotypical Klingon. And I just felt like the Klingon, there wasn't much effort given to to flesh out the Klingons in the 22nd century mm-hmm. like there was to the Vulcans. And so I was uh, kind of disappointed with the use of them. So I will put it on my list of lows. Yeah, good point. So moving on to one more high for me. Um, I'm going to put down Fusion. Okay. Um, Had a feeling you were going to pick this one. I'm so predictable. (laughs) I don't completely buy the analogy with rape. I think that that actually is kind of played like back when we get to stigma later on and it's implied it was rape. Yeah. You know, Interpol kind of goes down the path of, of saying that she didn't consent. She did actually consent. It, it was it was effectively an, an assault of sorts when, when she said to stop and he didn't. So that's probably the only issue I have with those pairing of episodes is the, the way that they reflect back on it and perhaps make her t- out to look more innocent than she actually was in Fusion. But I love the, um, you know, the secondary characters in this episode. You know, the, the different Vulcans that mm-hmm. we meet. Um, I just, I, I think it, it's great too when we get to explore the, the wacky ideas that these Vulcans have had about humans, you know, eating six times a day and, you know, sleeping <laughs> right. half of the day and mating with any woman they want on the ship. And um, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> so that, that that's very funny. And, and then Tripp asking all about Vulcan mating rituals and Malcolm catching him out in that conversation. But then the um and the name escapes me at the moment, but the the Vulcan that mine melds with with Tapal, um, I think he's brilliant. There's such a an eerie uh sensuality about him that is so unusual for Vulcans. Usually they're very stoic. Yeah. And I know they have these you know they're exploring their emotions as well, but but this guy just takes that to a, a whole new level. 
and you can really see why T'Pol would have been drawn to him. So he is actually the highlight of that episode for me. Mm. Yeah, it, it was nice that they they had a different take on a group of Vulcans, that they were willing to show us that there are these Vulcans who are kind of not outcasts, but they're they're you know outliers within the society, or they're they're not the norm for the society. They're going to explore their emotions, and so the, I, I enjoyed that take. Fusion itself as an episode, it when you look back at it because of stigma, then the episode has more meaning to me. The episode by itself is not as interesting to me until we go along and we get stigma. Mm. So then when you combine the two and, you know, the cause and effect between the two episodes, then it becomes a stronger episode for me. So it's it's a good point in the season. What about you? What's another high? Uh, The other high that I have on my list that we'll talk about today is the use of alien languages, the exolinguistics mm-hmm. of enterprise. And the reason is that I think that I think the universal translator is necessary in order to do a television show like Star Trek, because you need everyone to be able to talk to everyone else so that the stories can move along. I love the fact that Enterprise and going back in time when we were just developing technology was willing to dispense with that universal translator, especially early on, and actually show us how not everyone speaks English. And I love the fact that they weren't afraid at times to just spit alien languages out at us without any subtitles even there's, there are just these people talking to each other and you don't really know what they're saying because it, you don't need to know what they're saying in order to follow the story. But it adds some realism to Star Trek in that this is actually what it would be like if you were dealing with people that you don't know. It's just like here on Earth, you know, if you throw any one of us into, you know, any random country where we don't know the language, everything around us is going to be gibberish just like it is for our human crew here well this is one thing i would i would say is in the favor of acquisition and that's Mm -hmm. that yeah that's a good point yeah quite a bit where we're just hearing ferengi there's no subtitles and yeah you know it adds some realism to that and if that had been any alien race besides the ferengi (laughs) I probably would have said, you know, this episode is really good because it really highlights uh, the alien nature of the language. But because it's Ferengi, uh, it's just too much to overcome. I I can't (laughs) get over (laughs) the Ferengi there. But, you know, we see Hoshi dealing with languages in in so many situations. And just some of them here. It's not going to be a comprehensive list, but in Broken Bow, of course, she deals with Klingon. That's what hooks her in mm. to coming back to the ship ahead of schedule anyway. Of course, she uses Vulcan. She actually speaks to T'Pol in Vulcan. And fight or flight, she deals with the Axinar language. In Civilization, she deals with Malurian. She deals with Vulcan again in Strange New World uh, quite a lot when she's talking to T'Pol so that they can tell T'Pol what to do without Trip knowing what they're talking about. She speaks Linguini really nice. Monster in Vox Sola. 
Yeah, I have. I have except I call it plastic rapian. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in Voxola, it's she speaks plastic rapian slash linguini monsterin, linguinian, and also <laughs> she has to deal with Cretacean as well, mm. and. She speaks Rhysian in Two Days and Two Nights, the episode that you love so much. She speaks <laughs> Denobulin in Dear Doctor. Actually, she deals with Denobulin on a number of occasions through the series, but in the first season in Dear Doctor. And uh, Sleeping Dogs, she deals with the Klingon, especially when they go over to the ship and they're having to decipher the controls. And uh, it's just, it, it's a high point for me, again, as I've mm-hmm. said on the show before. Uh, I studied language, I have a degree in language, and I like seeing that Star Trek and Enterprise, they were willing to actually make that an element of the show. It is so a high anytime point. we do that, it's a high point. Um, especially, yeah. you know, it's just so convenient having a user, universal translator in all those other shows. Right. I mean, you have to. It's it's not realistic to to have people try and figure out how to talk to each other in every show. And that's why... When people point out about Star Trek and they say, oh, everybody in the galaxy speaks English. And I say, mm. well, no, not everybody speaks English. It's, it's not what it is. And imagine what the TV show would be like if they had to spend 20 minutes just trying to figure out how to say hello to everyone they came across. It would mm. be, wouldn't be a very interesting TV no. show. So, but, but here they handle it really well in Enterprise. All right, let's do one more low for each of us. This it was, as, as you said, like... Um... There are, there are some episodes that I don't enjoy as much or that I'm a bit more cynical about. It's hard to label them as a low. Um, but I think I'm for, for the element of predictability, I'm going to go with Oasis. Okay. So you knew that they were seeing dead people. <laughs> you know that line where, yeah, where yeah. Tripp says, "I see dead people." <laughs> I am. Um, I think Bruce Willis was even in that episode, wasn't he? Mm, uh, yeah, I, I seem to rem- remember seeing him in a singlet <laughs> in the background somewhere. Right, yeah. he's just walking by in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It just feels like oh, I can't name an episode off the top of my head, but it seems. Like the whole we're all holograms or it's not as real as we thought it was kind of concept has been done before. Well, Shadow Play on Deep Space Nine, mm. that's an episode where, you know, it's a guy and everyone in the village are holograms. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's been done before. And the the love story between Trip and and the daughter there is, mm. it's almost like something that would happen to Harry Kim on Voyager. Yeah. Right? Where he goes down the planet and he like falls in love with somebody, but they don't get to actually... Uh, do much of anything and then they have to go away yeah i mean i've seen um there there are episodes in one voyager comes to mind where you know the doctor is um is conflicted because he can't work out whether he's actually a hologram or whether he's real and what his reality is and it oh, keeps twisting and changing and that's done really, really very well. good episode yeah and that's that that's really twisting of reality yeah much more clever version of what's real and what's not right yeah oasis for me is it's an okay episode um you know renee abertanoi is great in there Mm. i think it's nice to see him out of the odo prosthetics Mm. and the overall episode is 
you know, I mean, it, it's it's okay. It's an average Star Trek episode for me. But it's even got you but, know that uh, really but, kind of low level version of Trip trying to press his values on someone else, but it's not done in the harsh way that it is in other episodes. It's just really kind of lackluster. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it ever really hits any strong notes or in any clever way. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you on that. All right, so Oasis there. Uh, Now, you're not going to like my final low on the list today. You're not going to like this at all. I'm going to go with the decon chamber. Oh, Chris, how can you? (laughs) But let me tell you why. Because it's actually not that I dislike the decon chamber per se. And and it's not that I'm prudish about the sexual nature of the scenes in the decon chamber, because I actually like them just fine myself. But the reason I put it as a low is that I feel like with Enterprise, they tried to do certain things to get ratings and to push the show. And I know that there was some studio meddling in some aspects of it and all. And I just feel like, I feel like with Star Trek that this overt sexuality, like the visuals of T'Pol rubbing the gel on her thighs is something that, that isn't necessary in Star Trek. And again, I don't, I mean, of course I don't mind it as a visual, but but I think it's another case like bringing the Ferengi onto the show where you're doing something that opens the door to criticism unnecessarily mm. and to make it a centerpiece of the ship and an activity and to dress the crew the, the way they're going to be dressed and to have the guys in there shirtless and it just felt to me like it was something that was definitely going to be controversial. It was going to be loved by some viewers. It was going to be hated by other viewers. And it was Mm. just maybe something that I feel wasn't necessary. That it brought in undue criticism. Well, there there was a writer for TV Guide. I believe it was TV Guide. Or Entertainment Weekly, I think it was TV Guide. But back in the when the show premiered, in the review of Broken Bow, I think it was even said that Enterprise has more underwear shots than a Hanes commercial. <laughs> and i I felt it was an un, it was an unnecessary so it was an inaccurate criticism of the show because it was a writer focusing on one tiny mm. little element of the story and making a big deal out of it. But uh, anyway, but what I will say also, though, in the in defense of the decon chamber, and another reason why I don't mind that it's there is that it it was good technologically to show that while in the twenty fourth century the transporters mm-hmm. can filter out pretty much any contagion that might be uh, in you when you beam up. I mean, you can actually get it out of your system as it rematerializes you. They can't do that yet in the twenty second century, and so. They do need to have some way to quarantine people Mm. and decontaminate them. So it is a legitimate component of the ship. It was just shot in such a sexual way that it felt like a ratings gimmick. Yeah. I think especially in the pilot. Yeah. And also in A Night in Sick Bay. And um, I was watching, um, as I said, the season two Blu-ray cast conversation Brandon was hosting just recently 
and they were talking about those decon sequences and Jolene Blaylock said she said like I'm I'm reading the script and and it's saying that Topol is rubbing this lotion on Hoshi, who's rubbing it on Archer, who's <laughs> rubbing it on the dog. I'm thinking, what on earth is going on here? <laughs> and Brandon, Brandon explained, and and you know, I've I've read interviews before where he's tried to defend and say, oh well, you know, in TOS they were in mini skirts, and it was really quite sexual and all this, and he would try and defend her in this interview. What he said was that he said when they wrote it, they honestly didn't think it was going to be that sexual. It it wasn't uh-huh. really the intent that it be that full on. Um, and, of course, it would have got detention once it was actually filmed and in the pilot. And maybe they decided to carry on with it because it got attention, good or bad, like with the Seven of Nine character in the cat suit. Yeah. I guess. I mean, but what did you think was going to happen? You've got three attractive people <laughs> in a room in their skivvies rubbing lotion on each other. I mean, wh- you, what did they think was going to happen in the scene? You know, it's like, it, it's why I love the, the decon scene in A Night in Sick Bay, though, because you've got the dog at the end of it and it completely pokes right? fun of the whole thing. It's tongue in cheek at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, okay. So to wrap up here, I have three honorable mention highs, which we're not going to discuss. I'm just going to throw them Mm -hmm. out here to you. One of them I'm just going to throw out there on behalf of Treka Film News writer, Mariel Kieran. And that's the scene of Archer in the shower. Because I mean, (laughs) according to her, it's the best scene ever filmed in uh, Star Trek. I I think she may have said television. (laughs) (laughs) And for me, two honorable mentions, one of them is Dean Stockwell in Detained. Not so much about the performance, but just the fact that they brought Dean Stockwell onto the show and gave him a role so that we could have Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell together on television once again as an homage to Quantum Leap. So Mm. I thought that was cool. And the other honorable mention for me is the line, you've been probed, Ensign. We've all been probed. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, Flox gets all the good lines on this show. Oh, dear. That's gold. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any honorable mentions or anything else that you want to say about season one here? As I said, I didn't want to discuss them a lot in this show because we talked about them so much already. But I do just want to add... Dear Doctor, Shuttlepod 1 are awesome. Yeah. And they go without mentioning. Well, I'm mentioning them, so they do go with a mention, but just an honourable mention for that reason. Right. Um, Those are very good episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, To me, they really define Enterprise and fit in very well um, as first season episodes and and what the whole show was going to be about. I think that's probably it for me. I, I love Vox Solar as well. I loved learning more about that through the season one Blu-ray feature that we get to see about the making of that episode and the alien. And I think I like it so much because it was just such such an inventive alien and it had a real sense of um, theatricality about it, the kind of thing you could see on the big screen. Yeah. So I loved that. Yeah. 
Um, and it's those production values of Enterprise that, that just really stand out to me more so than, than the other Star Treks. So, yeah, um, that's my honourable mentions. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's... I don't know if the production value stands out more than the other series in terms of they, they had higher production value. Mm. I think it's just year after year after year, gaining experience, mm. refining their techniques, and of course, the advancement of computer technology to allow more visual effects, yeah. cinematic quality visual effects on television, all came together to give Enterprise the most polished look yes. of any of the series because uh, you know that creative team had been doing it for so long and they really had their game down mm. by that point. Yeah, good point. All right, Kate. Well, it's been very interesting talking about this. And I guess as we go along on Warp 5, periodically, we'll come back and we'll do our highs and lows of season two, of season three and season four, and to see what we think about them uh, from time to time. But this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek Film this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> Remastered with Dave Rossi. We took one day and we all went down in front of a green screen. I uh, I had a Captain Kirk shirt on. I don't remember where I got it from. Oh yes, I do. My closet. Earl Grey. Ensign Row commentary. Here we have someone who is kind of bucking authority and is kind of trying to be to go against the grain, but she she does it in a way that shows that she has some sort of depth of character. The Orb. His way commentary. I love that he says, "What what does fun have to do with Major Kira?" And James Darren's <laughs> know, like, "What what do you mean? What is fun? Uh, come on, face palm." <laughs> yeah, exactly. The ready room. The catwalk. But this was a really his trainer Scott Rowe was talking about in the interview I did with him back in the day. How this was a hard show because normally when they had Porthos, it was Scott and Porthos working. And uh, maybe one other character or two other characters. And these, if you watch how Porthos was in this show, they kind of had him in the quarters with Scott. And I watched most of the show. I didn't see the last nth degree of it. But most of the time, they, were, they would do stuff with him, like peeking out of a bulkhead and, and all that. To the journey! USS Voyager. If it was, like, really blooming with color, you're like, oh, they're going really fast or something's happening. Like, you could... Yeah, excitement! Like, it was instantly... You, yeah, you instantly knew. <laughs> exactly what was going on and if q jr is on board it becomes a disco commentary trek stars harlan ellison harlan ellison is a crazy person because only a crazy person could come up with such an amazing name for a sci-fi drug come on that's so much better than bath salts why don't we call them the jewels of sound warp five trip tucker you know, they're not really career starfleet people even though trip has had a career in starfleet he's an engineer you know, and, and that, that's what he does and that's what he loves. And so all this other stuff's really new to him. Literary Treks. The best of Klingons. We haven't talked about yet, Chris, but there is one Klingon in here that is not like the other. That's right. One of these Klingons is not, not like, like the other. other. <laughs> one of these Klingons doesn't belong. One of these Klingons is a friend of the Federation. <laughs> One of these Klingons and Bryce will get along. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this show has gone off the rails. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and some days we even have two shows. And you'll find them in a variety of places, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zoom, and you can stream or download from the website. So check out all the shows. You can go to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all of the links. Now, Kate, I believe that since last time we had some feedback, actually a letter that we didn't get to on the show last week, but we got a letter from Lyndon David Elmer about the show we did a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about continuity. Yeah, so Lyndon actually um, decided to have a bit of a chat with us about um, his interpretation of continuity and consequences in Enterprise compared with other shows um, like Voyager or Deep Space Nine, but also other series in general, um, which we ha- you know we've spoken about some of these, such as the X Files, um, Fringe, Elementary Bones, and I-, I find it really interesting to hear other people's perspectives on the way in which shows are structured, and you know I guess we all have our different takes on that. Yeah. But I do think that Enterprise, um, you know, as I said last week, has managed to inject an element of continuity that is a little bit different to some of the other Star Trek. You know, they all have their different ways of tackling it, you know, but um, as I said, everyone's got their different opinions and I really appreciated getting that feedback from Lyndon this week. Well, what Lyndon said was that he listened to the show and he wanted to point out that it's not actually as unique to either Star Trek or to television as we were making it out to be. Mm. And, you know, I, I, our point wasn't to make it out to be unique. Our, our point was actually to discuss how Enterprise handled continuity in relation to previous Star Trek series. And Lyndon said that Enterprise falls into a television storytelling genre format that I've seen referred to as serialized procedural storytelling where you have shows that are, by and large, episodic in nature, but which also mix elements of serialization, sometimes quite heavy, into their overall narrative format. And yeah, I agree. That is where Enterprise falls. And and I and I think that they do it well. And that type of storytelling gives you a pretty nice balance mm. there. So we, we do appreciate hearing from you on that. And for everyone else, if you would like to share your thoughts on the show and the topics that we talk about, you can do that as well by going to trek.film slash contact. There's a form there. And if you choose a show on there and choose Warp 5, that will come to Kate and me both by email. There's also an option on the website for you to send us a voicemail if you'd like to do that. And we have forums at trek.film slash forums where you can talk to us and other listeners about Enterprise, about the episodes of Warp 5, and anything in Star Trek you want to talk about. And you'll also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And we're on Twitter under the username trekfm, where we're tweeting away about Star Trek all the time. Now, Kate, when you're not uh, sitting down, you know, enjoying your weekly viewing of two days and two nights, <laughs> you know, with your with your Ryzean cocktail in hand, where can people find you? Well, yeah, in the rare moments that I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter at Kate is Great okay. Um, I regularly engage in conversations about Star Trek and a uh, little bit more about Lost lately as I prepared for that convention. <laughs> so if you'd like to have a chat with me about any of those things, by all means, send me a tweet. 
Excellent. And if you want to find me, I'm on Twitter as well. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username and on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, you'll find me on two shows every week with Matthew Rushing. There is Literary Treks, where we talk Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. We just recorded a great interview, Kate, this morning with David Mack about his book in the fall series, A Ceremony of Losses. Yeah, it's always very interesting to talk to David and hear not only about the book, but about the writing process itself behind that, which is great. And also, Matthew and I do The Orb together, which is a lot like Warp 5, except we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And every week, with hosts from all around the network, I do The Ready Room, where we talk about all five live-action series and news and sometimes other special topics. And then I have my own interview show as well, which is called Matter Stream. And on that show, I talk to scientists and writers and actors and creative people about things loosely related to Star Trek. So check that out as well. Also, Kate, before we let everyone go, we'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor for this week's show, who helps us bring Warp 5 to you each week. And our sponsor this week is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks, with more than 150,000 titles to choose from, and I have a few hundred of those in my library, Kate, which I've collected over the past 14 years as an Audible subscriber myself. And new titles come out every week. It's really hard for me to choose which one I'm going to get, but whether it's classics or current bestsellers, or even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, or Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with a 30-day trial to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up today, and you'll be helping us you know, pay for all the costs of producing these shows and the bandwidth that's needed to get them out to you. And you'll get some great audiobooks at the same time. So again, that's at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and the network. We also wanted to invite you to check out Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you like the jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me that's featured at the start of Warp 5, you'll find that plus nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek. So you can pick up the album on iTunes or Amazon. And Chris, I hear that that album is all highs and no lows. <laughs> I think you're right. That's my rating of it anyway. All right. Yeah, go get that album. Really great stuff there by Andrew. And one more thing, there is another way that you can directly help us keep Warp 5 coming to you each week, and that is by adopting some aliens. Now, unfortunately, Kate, we don't have the plastic wrap linguini alien from Voxola. It's a oh. little bit hard to illustrate on a button, but... I'm so disappointed. We might try in the future. <laughs> we might try. We might try it just for you, Kate, in the future. But these are original illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. There are eight different ones available right now, and you can choose if you want them as badges or art prints. You can mix and match the two formats, and there are different levels of contribution for you to choose from. And we'd like to thank some of our most recent donors. We'd like to thank Mike Crate, Gary Lum, Daniel Handlin, Hans Liebetzetter, and we had an anonymous donor, Kate, who made a very, very generous contribution in honor of the 100th show of Trek News and Views, as well as the 50th episode of To the Journey. And so we really thank 
everyone who has donated for helping us cover the costs of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring all these shows to you every week. And if you'd like to help out as well, just go to trek.fm slash donate and choose your aliens. And we really thank you for your support of the network. So we'd like to thank everyone for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.